Welcome to Matt Chat. It's almost time for Survivor Series, and we'll be discussing some of our favorite matches. Now, the traditional Survivor Series matches are kind of an interesting thing, and it's probably one of the more fun things, especially mm-hmm. the way that they're doing the pay-per-view this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like a bragging rights, but uh, traditionally, it's always been like a lot of star power in the ring at one time, and it's always kind of been... Um, I don't know. It, it's like the only time that you would see... Uh, Hulk Hogan, mm-hmm. Andre the Giants, and I mean, you saw the two of them together, yeah, plenty. But you know, everybody else involved, um, like Brutus the Beefcake, uh, Brutus Beefcake, uh, Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, Randy Savage on one team. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so today we're just gonna kind of go over some of our favorite matches. You know, some of the traditional five-man eliminations, and some of the uh, just, I guess, regular matches, moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of big things happened at this pay-per-view, like outside of just uh, the five-man elimination matches, too. So, um, starting off, uh, which Survivor Series match do you think stood out the most to you? Like traditional five on five. Oh, I mean, yeah, traditional five on five. Let's go with. Uh, so my favorite one is um, from two thousand and three. It was the Team Bischoff versus Team Austin match. Um, that is kind of forgotten, but it is the uh, it's the kayfabe reason why Stone Cold doesn't wrestle anymore. Um, even though he did like properly retire after WrestleMania nineteen. Um, at least on screen, this is the reason he doesn't wrestle anymore because uh, uh, he wasn't even in the match, but it was he had just come back to Raw, and I think he was doing the co-GM thing uh, with Bischoff, and the big blow-off was this five-on-five uh, Survivor Series match where one team was supporting Bischoff uh, in trying to retire Stone Cold and get full control of Raw, and the other team was... Uh, obviously on the other side of it um but it was a pretty good pretty good roster on each side you had jericho christian mark henry randy orton and scott steiner as the baddies and uh sean michaels booker t the dudleys and rvd defending the honor of steve austin and um uh, it was really good i liked that there was at the beginning there was back and forth eliminations um they were just kind of trading off um but then eventually the uh, the bad guys got like an upper hand. They started cheating and um, they got Shawn Michaels into a three-on-one. He was uh, Jericho, Christian, and Randy Orton um, against HBK. And um, that's just a really fun, I don't, I don't know, uh, as we're going to find out, this apparently was a, uh, it's either I'm just a big Shawn Michaels fan or... Um, he wound up having some of his, you know, highlight moments at the show. But um, from that point on, when it became the three-on-one, uh, like Shawn Michaels handicap match, uh, it really took off. You know, he had a, uh, he hit a couple like desperation sweet chin musics, which uh, I mean, he's he's got the best super kick in the business already. Um, but just when he when he has those like dig deeps and he like. Uh, he somehow will hit the super kick and then like collapse on top of the guy in like a pinning situation somehow. Um, nobody does it better than him, and um, 
we also got one of those traditional um i don't know that anybody did a blade job better than hbk when he came back uh that like run from 2002 forward uh when they were still doing the blood um he, he never went... Well, he probably went overboard a couple times. But. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there there were a couple of... Because um, this wasn't the only Survivor Series match where he just, like, bled all over yeah. the place. Um, I want to say... No, uh, the Elimination Chamber. Mm-hmm. He just... You know, Triple H was bleeding, like, from three minutes into that yeah. match. And HBK still lost more blood than he did mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, although that was... Do you remember the Survivor Series match? I'm sure you recently went back and rewatched that for uh, Survivor Series purposes. Uh, the 2003 match? The original. Oh, the original, the original one. The original not, Elimination Chamber. I have not watched that. With uh, the one where uh, Shawn Michaels wins his belt back. Ah. Um, so, Shawn Michaels like had just come back that SummerSlam, I guess. Oh, are you talking 2002? Yeah. The Elimination Chamber match? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. first Elimination. Yeah. Yeah. Where he comes back with the mom haircut and mm-hmm. like the awful, the weird brown jeans or re- weird brown pants, tights, and like the cowboy boots. Mm-hmm. Like I, that I didn't like that. It's a really like bad this. look, and it was like his last title victory. And so, uh, yeah, that's what he's that's what he was wearing. That's what he looks like for his last his last title reign, which is kind of unfortunate. I thought it was so off. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I don't know. I guess that's back when he still had like the full like luxurious hair. So. It's, re- it's really the only time he had a a, a really horrible look. Because I mean, yeah, from no, that- and we're talking about a guy from the eighties, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just from haircut to boots to tights. That was I don't know what he was thinking. It was probably one of those where he's at the point where he gets to, for better or worse, has like full creative control over his look. Like nobody was going to step up and say. Uh, that's that's not it's not working. You know, it's Shawn Michaels. He had just come back to everything so. works. You're Shawn Michaels, right? Yeah. So I don't know. And I, I and I mean that's really just like in order to notice something like that, it's just tr- really trying to find something wrong with this match. Mm-hmm. I mean, like considering that was the first elimination chamber, wasn't that it? That was the first elimination chamber. Yeah, and that had that had a really good group of guys too. Um, Triple H, Jericho, Booker T, Kane, RVD. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we when we did our top ten wrestlers of all time episode, I had Shawn Michaels in there somewhere, and this was kind of the highlight match I picked. And one of my favorite things from it was um, again um, these multi man matches with Shawn Michaels. Um, you know, there's the bigger story going on, but then eventually there's going to be this story within a story in the match. In that Survivor Series match, it was the three-on-one handicap situation where Shawn Michaels is now defending his, you know, Stone Cold's career and everything. Uh, but in this one, it was um, right at the very beginning of the Triple H and Shawn feud. So eventually, the last, like, 20 minutes of the match just becomes uh, Triple H and Shawn Michaels, like, mini-match. Mm-hmm. And uh, those guys had um, a really impressive... A uh, number of battles uh, over a course of a couple years, and um, I think that's really what put Shawn Michaels in the position to have like that career rejuvenation that he did uh, when he came back was being able to work with Triple H uh, almost exclusively. Um, so yeah, and and also it was the first Elimination Chamber match, so a lot of times you'll see the first iteration of a match is often held as 
you know the the standard for the match. Um, this is a hard standard. Yeah, they might have they might have mm-hmm. outdone themselves a little bit in that sense. Yeah, I mean, if you think about every like elimination chamber spot that they do, you'll have somebody jumping off like the top of one of the pods. Um, somebody taking going through the pod, going through the glass, um, taking bumps on the chains. Like they did it all in the first match, so there was there was like almost no innovation left to go after um, after this first match. Uh, so yeah, it was it was really good. Yeah, that was. Um, it, it's weird, like always going back. Like I remember RVD was like part of WWE for a while, but it's mm-hmm. always weird to like see him there. Yeah, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I'm surprised with like all the guys that they've been bringing back that they haven't. And I don't know that they haven't reached out to him, but from what I'm reading, it seems that they haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they probably had like the best like team of guys. I guess you could have debuted it with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just you know, you've got. Rob Van Dam, who was kind of like a high flyer. Mm-hmm. You had uh, HBK, who's one of the best sellers of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, Triple H was a more than um, competent he was like, worker. Yeah, and he was like just the heel of the match. Yeah, you um, had a big guy like Kane in there. Yeah, the you power had... guy. And then I would say Jericho was almost more the the workhorse. Although Triple H was in there from like beginning to end, yeah. so. Um, yeah, I well, don't know. He'd it never was... give himself, uh, or he'd never pass up a chance to mm-hmm. put himself over. Mm-hmm. So, and Booker T, it's kind of forgotten now, but he was he was kind of just he was really hot at the time. I mean, yeah. this was uh, 2002, so this was like uh, we're coming up to the build of his like forgotten, or if it's remembered for it's for the wrong reasons, his WrestleMania feud with Triple H. Um, and, uh, you know, he got a clean, like, win over The Rock on a Raw leading up to WrestleMania. Um, you know, they were all in on Booker T at this time. And so, um, yeah, it was like, this was, like, the top six guys. Um, this was during the brand split, but, like, these were six top guys um, in the company. You kind of had a guy fit every role in the match, too. Um, there wasn't, it, this isn't one of those weird ones where you look back and you're like, why was Santino in a chamber match? Or, like, um, they had one with Carlito and Chris Masters were in it, and they almost won. Um, this is one where you look at it, and if you had never heard of this match or um, anything like that, you would think, oh, all six of these guys belong, and any one of them could win. And, yeah, it was it's still, to this day, I think probably the best chamber match that they've done. So, like, speaking of Booker T, um, the 2001 Survivor Series, ah, the, yes. the traditional one. The Invasion. And this isn't, like, so much about, like, Booker T. Well, I guess he was in the match. Um, well, they had so few guys that were actually in WCW. Well, it's funny <laughs> because the two of them that were in WCW were on Team WWF. Right. So, and that being uh, the Big Show and Jericho, mm-hmm. which I thought was very peculiar mm-hmm. i mean stone cold made sense on the alliance just because he was always like whatever vince mcmahon was doing he was doing the opposite yeah um that and even though it seemed weird at the time um because you know mm-hmm. wwf fans would have just known steve austin as stone cold steve austin but you know he got his real like start as stunning steve austin mm-hmm. in wcw and 
um, kind of the roots and foundation of the Stone Cold character was seen in Superstar Steve Austin in ECW. So even though they didn't really like play it out much on TV, um, going back and looking at this particular match uh, and his just role in the whole invasion angle with like a historian's eye, it made sense. And they really kind of dropped the ball with why he was with the Alliance. They kind of just, it just kind of seemed like more forced Stone Cold heel fodder, which was part of the reason that his heel turn was looked upon so poorly uh, is because there was, there was some like source material to, to base some, some logical actions off of, but instead it was just, you know, and it just kind of seemed empty and lackadaisical. Uh, have you watched this one recently? Uh, I went through a couple years ago. I went through and watched the whole invasion angle because um, I was always kind of curious about it. And uh, this was one of the during one of the like breaks from wrestling I had, and um, I you know I'd also heard how bad it was mm-hmm. and how like disappointing it was. But at the very least, it brought us like this match um that seems to be everybody's big highlight of the invasion angle is the very last day of it (laughs) um but yeah this was a great match Uh, i think this is this is something that's going to pop up if you do a a search for you know greatest survivor series matches um i like that throughout it they're kind of teasing like the switching of alliances everybody's kind of uneasy with who's gonna win so they're trying to like hedge their bets I think they did a, a thing with Jericho where he like jumped sides a couple times. Um, like mid match, he tried to help WCW, but you know they wound up losing. So he's at the end, you know, he, he was like back on the WWE side because they won. Do you remember what Jericho was using as a finisher? Was this during his breakdown? Was that that was the name of it, right? The breakdown, and it was the essentially crushing. Yeah, finale. it was a skull crushing finale or. Um, the stroke uh, yeah. from uh, Jeff Jarrett, but yeah, yeah, that kind of inverted Russian leg sweep. Yeah. I just remember seeing that. I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this is before the code breaker. Okay, yeah, yeah, um, the code breaker came about because uh, he was doing the the like code videos. I gotcha. Um, so that's where I don't. I think the breakdown was just because that was in his entrance song. Um. Yeah, no, nah, it didn't really catch on. He did, he did use it to beat The Rock at a championship match. I think it was for the WCW championship. This is a really weird time in wrestling. Um, but yeah, I don't know when he stopped using it. But I know this might have been one of the last instances of it because the next month at the December pay per view, that was the big one night undisputed championship tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and he beat Stone Cold and The Rock using their own moves, um, instead of, um, you know, some sort of variation of his attempted move. So it was, it was decided pretty shortly after this that that wasn't going to be his finish going forward. See, that, that it's funny, like you, you saying that actually reminds me that, uh, this is the one where Stone Cold did The Rock Bottom mm-hmm. and The Rock did the Stone Cold Stunner. I was it would have been really cool to see like a people's elbow from Stone Cold, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that uh, I remember that too. Um, and then like the the funny stuff with like the switching of the referees, and mm-hmm. there was a lot of like goofy stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And then Jericho, the Jer- yeah, Jericho came back out to interfere. Angle came back out to interfere mm-hmm. at some point. 
just like kind of a mess. Yeah. Um, there, uh, there was another one, uh, the 2004, um, with, Mm -hmm. uh, was another, uh, another Uh, good one. Like they were all kind of like all the modern, Mm -hmm. like probably the best ones were all right. Yeah. It's It's funny. Because you look back at, like, looking back at, like, some of the classic, uh, mm. looking back at some of the classics, you had Brutus Beefcake, um, Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, Randy Savage, mm-hmm. Ricky Steamboat versus Dangerous Danny Davis, Harley yeah. Race, Hercules, mm-hmm. Honky Tonk Man, and Ron Bass. Mm-hmm. You know, we aren't talking about that as, like, one of the greatest right. ones in history. I think it's just a sign of the times changing. You look at, even just looking at the, uh, the, the, wwe roster from like 1998 99 and then looking at the roster in 2000 2001 um and just the increased level of um talented in-ring guys um and to the point where we are now where there's hardly any bad workers in the company minus the the company's champion (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, I think the issue with Brock and I think this is, this is going to continue the streak of complaining about Brock um, the thing with Brock that bothers me the most is I know he can have good matches but he doesn't uh, Jinder Mahal the, I guess the, the thing I oddly appreciate about Jinder Mahal is I know he's bad and like this is the best that he can do so like you hate him because he's bad but I think that's it's um it's it's not as horrible of, of offense as Brock Lesnar, who is a capable, not just capable. Like Brock Lesnar is, if if you know, you look back at his original run, this like time period here from like o two to o four, um, and then even some of the stuff since he came back, um, like the guy could work. He is at the end of the day like an athletic freak, you know. So he's he's capable of of selling uh he can do a variety of moves to a lot of guys he can take a lot of offense like he had a really fun match with mysterio on a random smackdown back in the early 2000s where you know he had to sell the like lucha moves and stuff um yeah that's my issue with brock is that he he's like i don't know he's like that the longer he was there and i think matt hardy like kind of talked about Mm -hmm. this a little bit like matt hardy like gave him so much and like he was always very appreciative of it at first and then like eventually he just like turned into this other guy mm-hmm. and he'd get mad about like any any single thing because i think he actually had a feud with matt hardy yeah that was his very first like, feud, a competitive feud mm-hmm. and if you've seen brock lesnar and you've seen like matt hardy like matt hardy was considerably smaller yeah uh he was a little more loose than he is now but mm-hmm. um yeah i i don't know i i guess it's just you start getting those paychecks and you start having options and <laughs> Brock Lesnar knows that if like WWE doesn't want to pay him or let mm-hmm. him do what he wants to do, he can walk and right. he's drawing crowds. Right. Uh, he's probably got one of the better selling shirts in the WWE. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I think what got us to this point is we were talking about how deep the the rosters are now, and well, it's funny because you, you look at them and there's a lot of them that you can't remember half the names. Mm-hmm. Like there were some that like Chris Masters yeah. were in, mm-hmm. and like, but like from like these, like 2001, 2004, I think 2003 was one of them that we mm-hmm. talked about. Like, the only names you might not recognize are Maven and Gene Snit- Snitsky. Yeah. And if you think that uh, Jinder Mahal has bad back knee, yeah, you need to go back and see uh, Snitsky, Snitsky. In, uh, in, uh, 
HD. Yeah. Yikes. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, the, the Survivor Series match, I think the reason that it works so well is um, it's very hard to have a bad one um, just because of the... You get a lot of star power in the match, um, so you'll see guys working with each other that you would have never seen. Sometimes with this like brand split, and back when they had the original brand split, you'd see a lot of like fresh matchups, like guys in the same ring that you haven't seen before um, or seen in a while. And it's funny that you say that, and we're all excited to see mm-hmm. um, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn back together again, and that's mm-hmm. pretty much the highlight of SmackDown at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. And they're all the 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 Survivor Series matches are always just kind of good, fun, like car crash type matches. You have a lot of eliminations. You'll see some good storytelling, like last year's. I really liked last year's match. Oh yeah, last year was great because the split had just happened, mm-hmm. and you still had like the they they remembered the feud. They had uh, Dean Ambrose. And he freaking hated The Miz. Yeah. Or no, AJ. It was AJ. It was AJ. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did the triple power bomb, And then, and I think, was this right after Ambrose got eliminated? Or it was right I after somebody got eliminated? I believe it was right after Ambrose got eliminated. I think Ambrose got eliminated because of something AJ did. He refused to tag in or um, something like that. There was some sort of discretion that, um, even though they went into the match, you know, kind of testy, it was something in the match happened that caused Dean to like actively um, uh, you know, like almost sabotage his team. Um, but we got the the mini Shield reunion then. Well, I think um, SmackDown ended up winning. Anyway, yeah, yeah. It? And they, they had the, uh, one of my favorite spots was, you know, one of the, the storylines, one of the, like the B or even C storylines on SmackDown was when Daniel Bryan named James Ellsworth the team's mascot. And, you know, Shane was... Uh, was skeptical of it. He's like, like, what's he going to bring to the table? Like, he's just going to be out there and be a distraction. Uh, but James Ellsworth was the reason that Braun Strowman got eliminated. Uh, he got a count out and uh, Ellsworth, I think, crawled out from under the ring and grabbed a foot and caused him to be late back into the, the ring by like a millisecond. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of good stuff. And you could tell that um, all the performers and the the agents that put the match together and like creative, everybody was clicking and enthusiasm was really high at the time. Even though Shane's high spot was getting knocked unconscious, right? Yeah, the and, then, <laughs> and then you also had a uh, like wicked looking spear uh, from Roman on Shane, and um, everybody thought Shane was dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was good, but yeah, uh, I guess uh, going all the way back to this 2004 match, I think this was right after the. Um, not very fondly remembered Randy Orton face turn mm-hmm. uh, after he beat Benoit at Survivors or at SummerSlam. Um, I don't really remember a ton about this match other than that it took place at that time. It, it was kind of um, I don't know. It was kind of a fast one. Um, they had uh, Flair as like their manager because this mm-hmm. is when Evolution was still like a big thing. Um, I remember what ended up like ultimately like causing the problems was uh, Snitsky and Batista started getting into it and Triple mm-hmm. H was there. Mm-hmm. But I think Triple H and um, Edge were the last two in and it was just against Randy Orton. Although uh, Benoit stuck around for like a long time, but that was kind of like the beginning of the RKO, like mm-hmm. young Orton where he kind of like still pretended like he cared, even yeah. though he didn't. Mm-hmm. 
Um, then Maven randomly came back in and got knocked out five minutes later because he got attacked by Snitsky earlier mm-hmm. on. And it was kind of like a cluster, but it was probably like going back and watching it, one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. Um, Benoit was in it. I mean, you've got Benoit, Jericho, and Randy Orton on one team. Mm-hmm. And like Randy Orton, as little as he cares, is still one of the better, like solid yeah. performers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Triple H, Edge, Batista. And then you had, and you know, Batista wasn't always great, but. You remember who he, he was. He was, like, perfect for this kind of match. And yeah. this is actually one of my favorite kind of prototypes for a Survivor Series match, where you have a team of, like, big powerhouse heels. I mean, you look at these these teams, and the smallest guy on the heel team is, like, 6'4", 250-pound edge. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I, I like the... Uh, and not that uh, the good guys were, like, tiny or anything, but, I mean, just... Jericho and Benoit weren't big you're guys. You're talking, like, yeah, big. those guys are six foot. Uh, the biggest guy is Orton. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's that always works, um, is big guys versus small guys. But there was a there was a really cool, like, double headbutt that Chris Jericho did. I think it was on Triple H and Edge, where he got them both, like, you know, you know the Benoit headbutt. Mm-hmm. He looked like he actually connected, which... <laughs> I think he did a lot of the time. <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, he connected most of the time with that headbutt. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a it was a really like solid match, and it goes along like that entire like. I think that, with the exception of the one that was on earlier in that night, and I think that was the one with all like the nobodies on SmackDown because this was the Raw because this was the fir- during the first split, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was the Raw elimination or. Uh, bleh. Survivor Series match, um, but you know it. It was a fun match. It had a lot of star power, and again, like the only two guys that you don't remember from it are Snitsky and Maven. Mm-hmm. And I remember both of them actually because Maven was the eyebrows guy, right? Yeah. And Snitsky, I remember, but I just I think I people remember Snitsky more in his later WWE run with the bald head and yellow teeth. He had got his teeth stained yellow, mm-hmm. so I thought it. Made him look like more of a monster heel. Um, yeah. <laughs> this was uh, baby kicking Snitsky in uh, 2004. He had that feud with Kane where Kane... Oh, man. What a time. So, uh, I believe it was Kane had just won a feud against Matt Hardy for the... Not the services of Lita, but he just like... <laughs> Just like Juan Lita, I guess. And then they did like a pregnancy angle. And Snitsky came out and punted, I guess, what was supposed to be Kane and Lita's baby. Um, yeah. This is, this is only, this is like less than a year after the, um, Katie Vick stuff, too. So this isn't, um, this isn't quality storyline time uh in the wwe at least on on the raw brand well you know they didn't have to try as hard back then <laughs> uh and it, it, and i did you know we have talked about a lot more of the modern ones mm-hmm. but um the the 90 1987 um survivor series was another one that i actually went back and rewatched, and i think it was the first one mm-hmm. um and that actually had a tag team survivor series match in it which is a complete cluster, but it was yeah. fun because you had like you had uh, like the Heart Foundation, and I, I can't remember the Bulldogs. I think were the two lead teams, but you had like so much talent in there, um, and I think that was the same show as uh, what was it, Team Hogan and like the team with Andre the Giant. I can't mm-hmm. remember what all was on there. 
I just don't remember that one being as good. Um, the match that I remembered that was my favorite is the one that we kind of talked about earlier was, mm-hmm. um, I think it was Team Steamboat versus, or no, it was Team Savage versus uh, the Honky Tonk Man. I don't remember if they had like team captains really then, but mm-hmm. I remember they were the ones getting the the most because I think they had a feud. Yeah, that's for the IC title. That was the the usual format for Survivor Series is you just kind of combine. You either take um, a like premier feud and have them be like the captains, then just fill in face and heel as needed, or you kind of combine four or five heel or four or five feuds. In one match, so you kind of have this one team and then their counterparts on the other side. This one was interesting just because, um, like, it was the first one, and instead of like going elimination for elimination, uh, at the end of it, they actually had like a three on one against the Honky Talk Man who just like decided to like leave before he got hurt and uh, like walked out. But um, mm-hmm. I I think it was. Uh, beef, uh, yeah, Beefcake got eliminated because he like didn't tag out when he should have or something like that. And then yeah. Jake and Harley Race were feuding at the time, and they got a double countout. Um, and then it was just uh, after that, it was Randy Savage, Steamboat, and um, Jake the Snake just beating on Honky Tonk Man. Yeah, and it was that's... fantastic. <laughs> and I think Dangerous Danny like used to be a referee or something mm-hmm. like that, and like. They were talking about that, even though he's like this six foot eight guy. Yeah. <laughs> he was, I mean, but everybody back then was. I think Randy Savage might have been the shortest guy in the match. Yeah. And, well, Ron Bass was because he was small, but he was wide. But um, yeah, uh, that it, it was a fun match. Uh, back when like wrestling was just like this way, it's it's kind of fun back mm-hmm. to go to go back and you know it was. More like it was supposed to be real wrestling, but then there were some kind of like punches and like some finishing moves. Yeah. It's like uh, Jim Cornette's heyday kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just remember like Bobby Heenan was on the side for uh, for that one. Um, some of the managers that came out with these were just like amazing. Mm-hmm. Like what do, you, what do you look back at it? Like Heenan, I think, was a manager for two different matches that night. Um, mm-hmm. That was when Miss Elizabeth and Randy Savage were still together. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really about it as far as um, that match goes. I guess if, if you haven't gone back and watched it recently, then it's kind of... Uh, yeah, I'm sure if it's not up already, they probably have some sort of um, Survivor Series collection up on the, the network. Yeah, um, and if you can go back and watch some of the, uh, and we'll we'll try to talk about this a little bit more next week, but the uh, the War Games matches, mm-hmm. um, those had some some huge talents in them as well. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, Survivor Series was more than just uh, like the traditional five on fives, yeah. um, which later switched to four on fours, and then it they- was whatever they needed it to be. <laughs> And then, like, three out of threes, I think. Like, there was a... And that wasn't even an elimination match, was it? The Undertaker and Kane versus, um, like, the uh, the Wyatts. They really could have done, like, a lot with that. And just, yeah. Um, you know, Undertaker had his debut at 1990 mm-hmm. with... Uh, was that on Ted DiBiase's team? Yeah. 
And I mean, it wasn't like a super memorable match, but it's memorable for being the, he's the first Undertaker iteration. Of the Undertaker. <laughs> it was also the show, I believe, that had the gobbledygooker on it, which. Mm-hmm. Um, as Fable has it, was going to be the way that they debuted The Undertaker, was he was going to be the thing that came from that giant egg. And <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, everything worked out perfectly as is, but uh, The Undertaker already, uh, he already needed, like, such perfect, um, you know, uh, portrayal on his end, and also, like, from the booking side too to work so they kind of caught lightning in a bottle with it um but just like to think that that was the way that they were going to debut him rather than just like what they wound up doing which is the absolute right thing just have him come out as like this big menacing heel guy um yeah man that i'm not saying it wouldn't have worked out but it's it's already um you know, it's it's like the king of all gimmicks already, and um, it works uh, mostly due to the, the, you know the talent of the performer. But yeah, it's just kind of what what could have been if he was if he was the he wouldn't have ever been the gobbledygooker. But like if he was the thing that was in that egg, that that uh, that wouldn't have been a good start for him. No, and um, it's funny because this kind of goes back and it shows like. How these guys, and I don't know that Undertaker was ever, like, a great talker, because he didn't start until, like, later on. Because mm-hmm. um, he always had a mouthpiece, being, yeah. like, the pallbearer, who was, like, this obnoxious guy, but he was just fantastic at what mm-hmm. he did. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a, a squeakier Paul Heyman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but going back and looking at, like, the early 90s and the 80s, and really, like, through a lot of WCW and... Even like the, um, like I said, midway through the WWF, probably um, in the '90s, all these guys had like managers, and the managers would like share, you know, they'd share uh, talents. But you could get a guy over who didn't have to talk because if the Undertaker was talking when he first came out, it wouldn't be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Kane ever had to talk for himself, it wouldn't be fun. Um, even when Mankind... And Mankind didn't really need help cutting promos, I don't mm-hmm. think, when they first started letting him do it. Yeah. And they put him with Paul Bear. Like, um... I don't know why Vince is so opposed to the manager. I don't... He's kind of letting it back with, like, Titus Worldwide, but Titus uh, kind of still wrestles. Yeah. I guess Maria Canellis was kind of one, and then she got pregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was Maurice. And Paul Heyman's really, like, the only one who kind of, like, stands out at this point. Yeah. Um... Uh, so I, I don't really know. I mean, it, it gives you another, like, another dimension, I think. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The Miz was using Maurice to, like, win matches, and yeah. now he has, like, this Miz Tourage and, you know, all this other stuff. But it's, uh, you know, it's cool. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, speaking of The Undertaker, I think it was 1991, he had his match against Hogan and won his first championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, a year in, this guy, like, who had this ridiculous gimmick that never should have worked mm-hmm. and has continued to work for over a quarter of yeah. a decade or a quarter of a it's, century. It's kind of funny. The, the guy, the performer's body kind of failed, started right. failing before the actual gimmick did. And then the lengths that they went to, like with this, um, 
with this character being like the American badass mm-hmm. and like being this like like this leader of cults and like all this other stuff, but like specifically the American badass, and that was probably during like what should have been the best years of Undertaker's career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he had some of his best matches, and a lot of people like frown on that because he was he had Limp Biscuit playing when he was coming out. <laughs> Which I choose not to think about, but right. um, we had uh, The Rock's debut in 1996, mm-hmm. and that was actually a pretty decent match too. Um, I know Goldust was part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, who was the other one that he knocked out? Because it ended up being a two-on-one, and he ended up like going over against like two. Triple H was in that match. Triple H was in that match. So that was back when he was the Blue Blood, right? Yeah, the Connecticut Blue Blood. Um, so he wasn't like as big of a deal. Mm-hmm. He certainly wouldn't have been putting the rock over after the year 2000. Right. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who else was in that match, but like the rock was by no means like a super impressive, like mm-hmm. specimen. I think he used a shoulder breaker as a finisher or yep. something like that. This was Rocky Maivia with the, the weird like blue tassels and the... yeah, but he, um, I mean, they saw something in him, and, you know, every once in a while, Vince gets it right. Yeah. Um, You had the Elimination Chamber. Uh, The first ever Elimination Mm -hmm. Chamber was at a Survivor Series. Uh, The Montreal Screwjob happened at Survivor Series. Yeah, Yeah. just another. Have you ever gone back and, like, watched that, or is that just kind of, like, cringy? Yeah, I mean, it's... I kind of have fatigue with the Screwjob, like I'm getting with attitude era content now because it's just been covered so in depth um and you know, it, it ha- well but the match itself like kind of like aged a little bit better than the uh yeah the attitude era as a whole i think oh yeah well i mean you have um probably you know within either company um you had the two best guys in the entire industry in ring um you know it can only be <laughs> it can only be so bad um and this was definitely at the height of their their feud, um, both on screen and off. Um, so it's you know some guys just have that chemistry, you know whether they're whatever's going on behind the scenes. Um, some guys just like click together, and then sometimes you'll see guys who are the best of friends, like the Hardys. Before all the broken stuff, which even that I think only works because of kind of the gimmick and how they shot it. But like anytime the the, the WWE tried two separate Hardy versus Hardy feuds and they both kind of fell flat on their face. Um, and those were guys who grew up in the industry together. Um, and then you'll have guys like uh, like Edge and Matt Hardy that work so well together, and um, these two guys, Brett and Michaels, work so well together. Um, I don't know. It's it's really weird. It's almost like um, having like positive chemistry with somebody is uh, a deterrent because if you're if you have that like sense of competition and you want to like you almost want to like outclass the guy, uh, you both wind up working like harder together, and the match can be um, it can benefit greatly from that. And I think Bretton and Sean definitely had that as you know they were both kind of trying to position themselves as the guy in the company, even though at this time Brett had, I, I don't even want to say one foot out the door. He had like his whole body out the door. and was This just was kinda, his last match. Yeah. He was just kind of like gently like 
letting the door close. You know, this was he wasn't like trying to decide where to go. He had his mind made up. I think he um, even had like ink on the like the contracts to come over to WC. Oh yeah, he'd already told Vince that right? he was leaving. Yeah, so and that's why Vince did what he did, right? Uh, because Brett didn't want to give up the mm-hmm. uh, the championship like in Montreal. Yeah, he didn't want to lose in Canada to Michaels. Um, probably could have been done better from both sides. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, Brett was kind of um, was kind of stubborn. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've heard multiple like Bret Hart stories, yeah. and I've heard he's kind of a um, what's what's the word. Um, Jackass? Well, he's like a jackass, but he's very like self-important. I think. Oh yeah, From yeah. What yeah. I heard, like he, he has like a shrine to himself yeah. in his house, mm-hmm. and he still like publicly goes out in like his leather like mm-hmm. heart foundation mm-hmm. jacket, mm-hmm. Um, with his sunglasses, trying to draw attention to himself. Yeah. And every once in a while, he has to talk about like how Seth Rollins is a dangerous worker, just to make himself relevant. Yeah. Um, Narcissist. That's the word. That's a good one, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, not to take anything away from the guy. He was a... Mm. Uh, his matches with Stone Cold were fantastic. Yeah. Um, his matches, really, with anybody. He had a feud with DDP and WCW. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Really one of the only highlights. Yeah, well, they didn't give him a chance. They gave him a lot of money, though, so I don't think he was too upset about no, it. No, no, no. There was... A lot of factors at play there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, before we get away from it too far, did you have any other five-on-five matches that like stood out to you? I had a couple, um, and they were back-to-back. Okay. Um, 13 and 14. 13 was... Um, so in 2013, it was at the, um, the height kind of of the shield, and this is to the day um, the only time the shield like proper like come down through the crowd in their tactical gear have been in a survivor series match um and this was also uh this was kind of uh roman reigns big coming out party i think everybody had already penciled in they were already kind of catching wind that um roman's going to be the guy coming out of this like the other guys are going to matter but roman's going to be the guy they give the ball to um and so this was, I was just looking at the guys involved. It was the shield and the real Americans, which were Cesaro and Swagger. And then, um, so the, Superman yeah. was a real American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that was part of the, the joke, um, or part of the act is that, um, they came out and they were doing this like, uh, anti foreigner stuff. And, uh, one of the members was a foreigner and like about as foreign as you can get too. Cause he, not only is he from somewhere else, but he like could speak five different languages. Um, uh, but on the other side, you had the Rhodes brothers, the Usos, and Rey Mysterio. So, um, yeah, I, it just uh, it kind of makes me want to go back and rewatch some stuff from that summer because um, a lot of this stuff fell through the cracks because it was it was on like the pre-show, and this was would have been pre-network. Um, but the um, the tag division was really hot at this time because you had the Rhodes brothers, um, the Usos, and the Shield kind of all just like you could pick any two of the three teams and put them on a pay per view and it would be a great match. Um, was this around the time that the Outlaws came back too? 
This was just before. Before, yeah. The next year is when they came back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, this was yeah. This was like at the end of 2013, and I think the Outlaws came back at the beginning of 2014. Mm-hmm. So we're just like a couple months away. But um, this was like they did when they started doing that whole authority angle. Like right, right now at this uh, Survivor Series, this was um, right around the time they were doing the like Daniel Bryan stuff mm-hmm. with the authority. Um, you know, they had Randy Orton as like the paper champion and they kept screwing Dan O'Brien over. Um, and then they, the other thing they were doing is the, probably the number two baby face after Daniel Bryan in terms of who the authority is mistreating was the, uh, the Rhodes family. This is the time where Dusty was on TV going off scripts with Stephanie on raw and, um, gold dust actually came back. You know, to tag with Cody Rhodes. This was before they did the, um, the like Stardust Gold Dust thing. This was just like Cody Rhodes and his brother Gold Dust um, working together for the first time ever, really. Um, and you could tell that they were both extra motivated. Um, there was a Battleground pay per view, which they've shifted the month of that a couple times, but it was sometime over the summer. And really, the only thing worth of value at all on that entire pay per view was the Shield and. Rhodes Brothers match uh, for the tag belts. Um, then the Usos, who have really always been good. It's just a matter of... Getting stale? If Yeah, if the characters were stale or not. And I think this was uh, kind of at the beginning of that... Of the like staleness starting to, to seep in. But uh, anytime the Shield and the Usos got together, it was a great match. Well, it's um, funny because uh, the thing that I think absolutely killed the Usos that, re- that forced them... To come back like mm-hmm. as different, um, like as a different group was mm-hmm. like aligning with Roman Reigns, yeah. like that was it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But and yeah, continue I mean, on. the only thing I don't like about this match, even though it was like cool at the time, because it was like, oh, like this guy from the Shield is really having like a spotlight moment. Like I felt like you're seeing something. You're seeing like the, um, you know, like when Austin had his 316 promo or. Um, like another moment I'm going to talk about later at Survivor Series with The Rock. Um, you're seeing this like, oh, this could be like a launching point moment. I'm talking about with Roman um, that has now kind of been ruined because of the the sentiment that a lot of people feel towards Roman with him being like forced and shoved down our throats. But uh, this was the Roman comes back from like a 4-1 disadvantage uh, and just kind of spears everybody out of the match and winds up being the sole survivor. Um, it was cool at the time because they hadn't done a Soul Survivor in a, in a long time, and that's when they have the just the one guy um, on one team wind up going against. They they teased it in that 2003 match with Michaels earlier, but they hadn't just come up short. Um, yeah, it's just they pulled it off, and at the time it looked like um, the Shield still wound up having about um, – uh, this would have been November, and they broke up in July of the next year. So they still had like a good almost eight, a year, eight months, yeah, yeah um, after this. But it definitely felt like they're starting to set these guys up for their post Shield runs. Um, yeah, it was it was just a really fun match. Um, and then the uh, the next year was the uh, the Authority was still around. <laughs> um, this was the Team Cena versus Team Authority match mm-hmm. where. Um, there was just a lot to like about this match. Um, the teams actually weren't all that. You don't look at them and be like, "Oh wow, there's some real like 
in-ring talent. You have on one side you have you know Cena and Ziggler, and then on the that other was really it. Yeah, <laughs> as far as like you have like some good you had characters and, and the guy to sell. Yeah, and then you had a bunch of big dudes. But as far as like if you think of like great workers that the company has had like that that's it do you think it's funny that rowan and harper on different teams yeah well this was the very first shield breakup that they did that did nobody any favors um yeah you look at the other side and it's like you have rollins and harper um you know kane was is as good of a, a big guy worker as you got but um and Rusev has has shown that he's like capable, but this was um, this was like peak uh, like anti-American Rusev that I think people were still a little down on. The character was a little one-dimensional, but um, this is uh, this is like almost to like prove the point that these Survivor Series matches, if booked correctly, are almost like immune to um, under. Um, uh, you know, like less than um, your non-typical workhorse guys. Um, you can put a team of anybody together, and a Survivor Series match can like bring them up rather than them bring the match down. Um, so uh, you know, you look at the the match, and you really have if you would consider guys who are like match carriers. I think you have out of ten guys, you have four. <laughs> Um, if and that's if you want to include Harper, um, yeah, I don't know. It's you got uh, peak heel Seth Rollins, um, and I'm this, guessing Rollins wasn't heavily involved in this match either <laughs> during the time because he wasn't heavily involved in any of the matches mm-hmm. when he was uh, corporate. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it was probably Kane and mm-hmm. oh, this was also <laughs> the match where you had show. Uh, I mean, you can't have a, a a match without having a show face or heel turn and this was a heel turn mm-hmm. he uh i think it had it was after the first elimination i don't know who got eliminated probably like rowan or um ryback or something or maybe both of them but uh it was when things were starting to look a little bit bleak for the team cena and uh, i think the big show <laughs> gave a knockout punch to to john cena and that led to uh him being eliminated and his reasoning afterwards was kind of saw the writing on the wall it wasn't looking good for the good guys um and one of the stipulations going into the match was if team cena wins the authorities disbanded if team cena loses everybody but john cena is fired and i like that they didn't mess around with like like they're obviously not gonna fire john cena like you can't even storyline it like there's no so they they had it so that yeah he's gonna like stay stick around because the authority wants to make money off of his name um but all of his friends are fired because they're replaceable um so you had the big show strike a deal with the authority that if he helps cost him the match even though he was on the losing side he would get to stick around um so you had that um and i thought this was like <laughs> this would have been another good launching point for dolph uh, he had a really good showing in this match. You know, it's looking at the team and just knowing that stipulation and seeing the results of the match, you would have thought, oh, like, you know, Cena, like, overcomes the odds. But Cena was taken out, like, you know, a little over halfway through the match, and it was really Dolph Ziggler was Well, Ziggler's the never hero been the, the problem story. with anything he's right. been involved Oh, yeah. In. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, even now, like, he's only working with the script that he has. Um, yeah, so, I mean, this was another moment where they really could have used this as a catapult for Ziggler to go on to bigger and better things, and I think they wound up just doing the, like, 50-50, um, you win one week, you lose one week with him. But it was nice for at least, like, one night. You have these, like, impressive moments for Ziggler that I think, at the end of the day, you can really put together a good, like, career, a solid resume. Um, and this was definitely one of his shining moments, being the guy that got the first, like, one-up. Um, this was before Brian won and, you know, like, won the title properly at WrestleMania. So this was really the first, like, victory somebody got over the authority. And um, for it to have been Ziggler um, was... It's unfortunate it didn't go on to bigger and better things, but I think the big takeaway that everybody had from this match was obviously the Sting debut. Yeah, first time Sting had ever been in the WWE. Mm-hmm. And he came out and he stood like toe to toe with Triple H for what seemed like five minutes because the crowd would not simmer down. And I think he pointed his bat at him, and then Triple H went to strike. He ducked it and hit the Scorpion Deathlock on him. And yeah, I just remembered. Um, you just felt like something was going to happen in the match, and when the lights went out and you heard the crow calling, um, I don't know, it just, sometimes matches, um, even though they have, like, the great storytelling and it, they're, like, booked well, uh, the in-ring action's good, um, sometimes they just need a little moment like this that will put them onto lists like this and discussions like we're having. Um, because if you ever, if you're ever talking to a wrestling fan and, you know, when they do these every year, sometimes they have two or three of them, of the matches, they they kind of all run together, um, to have something like, um, okay, this was the, the Sting debut match, um, and that'll like jog people's memory and they'll start remembering the match properly. Um, a lot of these other matches don't have that. So that's what, that was one of the things I liked about the, this five on five match and that, They've done a really good job of these matches as of late. And so that gives me, um, you know, I have my, my hopes given up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm holding my breath waiting for this year's because no doubt it's going to be good too. Um, at least on the SmackDown side who are there uh, starting to fill out their roster. It looks, looks promising from this, from this point in time. All right. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm really excited about this one, mm-hmm. uh, just because there's there's no titles at stake, so it's kind of just mm-hmm. like, and I I mean, obviously what's probably going to be the main event, maybe it's going to be the main event. I don't know if they'll do the five-on-five men's or if they'll do Lesnar. And, It'll probably be Lesnar and Mahal. But aside from that, like, every other match on this card is going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen the extracurriculars from The Miz and I've seen Corbin. some of the highlights. <laughs> uh, but it's been fantastic. Um, uh, the rumored, and I won't I won't officially go into this until we do our um, our Survivor Series pre-show, mm-hmm. um, but the rumored five-on-five like men's matches looks promising. Mm-hmm. Um the 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 tag match the bragging rights tag match is going to be great yeah um everything's going to be good like there I, there's nothing I'm not excited about on this except for maybe like Mahal and um, Lesnar and yeah you know even that'll be probably kind of fun just to watch Mahal get slammed around a little mm-hmm. bit 
Um, but moving on, uh, what about any like any other matches? Yes. Um, so it doesn't I alluded, have to be all about five on fives. I alluded to it um, being uh, sort of a, a, a launching pad moment for for people, you know, um, Roman's match in 2013. But in 1998, our first Survivor Series, as um, like every week, tuning in fans would have featured not a single five on five match. But the big draw was the Deadly Games tournament yeah. uh, to crown a champion after it had been vacated for some reason. Um, I know it was at the it was at the peak of the um, the Austin McMahon angle, so I'm guessing it was just some sort of McMahon screwed Austin out of the title. Um, but they had a one night tournament to crown a new champion. Uh, it had guys like Stone Cold, uh, the Mankind, The Rock, Undertaker, um, Undertaker yeah. And uh, what we get out of this is McMahon screwed Austin out of a match. I think that's how Mankind wound up in the final. Um, and then uh, The Rock like won his way through because he was doing his post-nation face turn, um, kind of just getting the, the like the real like people's champ that we would come to see um, the character like take and the years coming was really starting to take off and they pulled the trigger at the absolute right moment to make him the corporate champion. Um, this was the, the storyline they were doing with, um, they were trying to make it seem like McFoley was being groomed as a paper, as a uh, corporate champion, uh, for the corporation. Um, and they were doing this weird like father figure angle with with Vince, and this was like clean shaven Mick Foley, clean shaven but still with the mankind mask. Well, you know, it was kind and of... the suit and the the like somewhat styled hair, even though it was still like the shaggy Mick Foley hair. No yeah, teeth, no ear. And yeah. So, um, and that's I mean that's the whole reason why he he wore the suit and tie is because it was supposed to be. After this moment, um, you know, he was beaten up and turned on while he was wearing the suit. That's why he kept wearing the, the mangled shirt and tie, because it was supposed to have been the same one from this night. And he was so, like, uh, traumatized from the moment that he, he never changed his outfit. Um, that, at the core, is why he... That the, the mankind attire, when you think of the mankind attire... Um, Started just being like a right, a, yeah. a ripped up shirt it, tie. Yeah, he, he up, changed his ties though. Yeah, and then he had like sweatpants of whatever right, color. Right, the the uh, that's yeah. old like Reeboks. But it, it's funny, like because now you look at like whenever they have like this corporate guy, mm-hmm. like everybody hates him, but everybody always loved Mankind. Mm-hmm. Like after the his initial like heel run, I guess like the Undertaker yeah. and all that stuff. Everybody always loved Mankind. Mm-hmm. Like when he was in this position. Which, you know, Rollins never got that kind of appreciation. No, yeah. uh, Sheamus never did. I, there, I, there, he was like the likable loser. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I was I was always a huge Mankind fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was really the... What launched the feud between The Rock and yeah, Mankind, which this was fantastic. Is, this too. is what put Mankind on the map as, uh, you know, it, it was tough to compete with Austin, but this would have been, um, like, the as much of... Uh, a mega baby face a show could have. Um, this is the, the, the match that made that happen. And um, really what launched, you know, mankind into the, any novelty or nostalgia run he's gotten 
um, would have been from this point because you know up until this point he was. I don't want to belittle the guy's career because he still would have had his niche. He had you know, great he had, matches though. He had, he had all Shawn the, Michaels, yeah. the Undertaker. But we're talking. This is what like solidified him as an all-time great instead of an all-time good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the stuff to come. It was the halftime heat empty arena match. It was the I Quit match at the Rumble. It was the Cell stuff with. Um, not the Undertaker because that wasn't that good of a match, but it was the the cell match with Triple H, the street fight with Triple H, um, all that stuff. That this was the the launching point that endeared Mick Foley to the fans, that allowed for some of those other future moments to happen, and um, the Attitude Era really wouldn't have been what it was. Uh, as much as people like to make the Austin McMahon as big of a deal as it was. Um, that it absolutely was, you know, the 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 flagship feud of the Attitude Era, but it wouldn't have been what it was without, um, you know, top level supplementary feuds like Mankind and The Rock, um, just because those were two of the. I mean, from an in ring standpoint, uh, yeah, we talked about guys with chemistry, and these are guys who are on neither end of the spectrum of being like at each other's throats or like the best of friends i think they had a very chummy professional relationship but oh man kind of the rock yeah pictures of them playing like nintendo 64 together right stage <laughs> so yeah these are just two other guys who had uh you know just great chemistry just you know sometimes there's just stuff that you can't you can't teach how to have chemistry with a guy and i think they they brought out the best of each other um you know the rock probably wouldn't if he didn't have such a great baby face to play off of such a sympathetic baby face that made you hate the rock's guts because of how he was treating him um he might not have had the success that he did i mean up to this point the rock had you know the rocky maivia stuff which um went over so well i can sum up how well rocky maivia went with three words die rocky die which was the the chant that he was met with he was supposed to be just a clean-cut baby face but um if you think about it like not even seeing our roman reigns get death threat chants um only because we're in a different era yeah if but roman reigns was in the attitude era he absolutely would have gotten death threat we just chants. get booze and um he probably would have done roman well in sucks. the attitude era yeah like thinking about it but yeah anyway it's it just i don't know they just it was just just perfect, perfect timing. The perfect guys. Uh, each guy benefited from it. You know, it kind of the Rock kind of brought out the best babyface stuff from McFoley, and McFoley played a great heel or great face for the Rock to really establish the. I mean, the Rock character was really established through this heel run. Mm-hmm. He just kind of, you know, the the best way to establish a character is um, the heel run, right? Yeah, and you just you. You, well, it's been proven over and yeah. over again because Austin was never mm-hmm. like a babyface. Mm-hmm. Never was he mm-hmm. like a babyface. Yeah, Mankind, The Undertaker, mm-hmm. Kane. Yeah, I it's, mean, it's really it's really a three step process, and this is oversimplifying it. But you're, what you're gonna you need to establish a character to to go from heel to face. You establish the character. You slowly have them stop insulting the crowd and start insulting their opponent. And then you put them up against a heel, and they don't need to change who they are. They don't need to change their like catchphrases or any, the way they work a match or anything. It's just you do those three things, and suddenly they're 
faces and it's more of a natural process than uh, I think they're doing a really good job with Sami Zayn because he didn't go from being happy-go-lucky to like coming out and not dancing and well, just acting already, like a heel overnight and it's like people already are, love Sami Zayn those though. are so that's like not how humans would be so what you would just need is like just little tiny tweaks like his obnoxious dancing now it's it's no longer like he's out there like trying to entertain the fans it's that he's like obnoxious and over the top with his dancing now and that makes you want to hate him but like he's not he didn't go from being like plucky babyface to like psychopath which is often what they do it's so jarring i think about how they almost ruined charlotte right off the bat they had her go from um like second generation face she's the one who drove out the like divas division right she's the one who ushered in the women's revolution by beating Nikki Bell, Nikki Bell and becoming the champion. And then like the next week she's um, like this, this bully that takes shortcuts and, and all that stuff. And then the next week she's sympathetic baby face because Paige is making fun of her, her brother who died from a heroin overdose. And it's just like, you can't have these major ebbs and flows in the character. Cause that doesn't happen to real people. And I think that's what, that's why getting back to The Rock and Mick Foley, that's why it worked is because even though it's the silly world of wrestling, they were portrayed as real people and treated as real people. You know, The Rock was a young guy who was just trying to make his mark in the industry. So he aligned himself with the boss and Mick Foley was just a sympathetic character who was just looking for acceptance from somebody. And that's why he latched on to Vince, and that's why you felt the sting. Even though you as a fan wouldn't have wanted McFoley to be affiliated with uh, Vince McMahon and the corporation, you still were sad to see him spurned by uh, somebody yet again. So, I don't know. It just It's simplistic, and it, it was it was just, just perfect. I think it's, it's part of the reason we're here today. Uh, another side effect of this this weird random moment. Uh, part of the reason we're here today talking about wrestling is because early on they had stuff like this mm-hmm. um, that was like relatable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, if you want to keep talking about like mankind, um, a good coming off of that was uh, the 96, which was again, just a huge, mm-hmm. not even just for like the five on five man matches, but like was a huge um, survivor series. Uh, Mankind versus The Undertaker, and this was the one with uh, the pallbearer in a cage, like above the ring. Where, oh boy, yeah. Where uh, if Undertaker won the match, he'd they'd lower him down, and then who was it? The Executioner came out. What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this was so. This was in between like the Attitude Era and like the goofy like. Yeah. So this was one segment you'd have like Doink the Clown, and the next moment you'd have something like this. I yeah. guess. Yep. And then the next moment you'd have Austin, and then the next moment you'd have um, like the Repo Man or something. Yeah. Do you, do you remember? Did you watch this match, or have you watched this? I match? have not watched this match. So it was actually like a good match. Like this was still like mankind crazy, like in the mm-hmm. boiler room, rocking back and forth. Uh, back when he had like the uh, when he had the uh, the, like, the mandible claw, yeah, with, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the the brown like leather outfit mm-hmm. or whatever, um, and and you know like he his whole feud with the Undertaker was always like fantastic, mm-hmm. um, and I think this this had to have been before the the Hell in the Cell that I think mm-hmm. that was the end of it, right? 
Yeah, I mean the the Hell in the Cell would have been That's like two years later. That was that was June June or July of nineteen ninety eight when that happened. But um, yeah, and honestly, if it wasn't for Kane, um, you know, as a remarkable job as Kane did with his feud with the Undertaker, I think people would have remembered. Um, it's more of a testament to how how well Kane worked with the Undertaker, but um, people kind of have forgotten that the Undertaker is like first real big long-term rival was McFoley. Um, it's either McFoley or Austin, but Austin wasn't really... Austin was a rival because they were both like top guys in the company. There was never actual any beef. It was more just, I'm a top guy. Well, I'm a top guy too, so like our paths are going to cross again and again. But um, as, as far as like you know storylines go, it was, it's, it was Mick Foley for a long time before they brought in Kane. Um, and you had all the, the Paul Bearer stuff and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to, to think about, um, McFoley and the Undertaker not really being remembered for, um, not just like a couple good matches, but like, uh, yeah, we're talking like years that they had like an on and off feud and there's this thread that you can connect that kind of leads all the way up to. 1998 and you know being thrown all over ringside well another thing that was like great about this match too is that like mankind was still like a very dark character Mm -hmm. like he wasn't like goofy mankind because i think i don't know when exactly it happened when he started being kind of like comedic relief as well it was post wrestlemania 14 when they started doing the they had the vince on-screen character and they needed some guys to play off him and Austin's, as WWF champion coming off of WrestleMania 14, Austin's first two opponents were McFoley iterations. Uh, I think one was Mankind, the other was Dude Love. At least one of them was Dude Love. But um, yeah, it was just this, like, he was going through this each week. He would he seemed to be having this, like, identity crisis thing because he had all the faces of Foley. And... Um, they slowly turned it to like a more like humanized comical version when they did the um, corporate McFoley stuff. Has anybody had like that many separate gimmicks and been as successful as McFoley in each one? I don't think so. Definitely not. Think about it, like it's not like the Undertaker mm-hmm. turning to the American Badass. Right. He's still the America. He's still right because it's all canon Undertaker. But you've got Dude Love, mm-hmm. who is very different than Cactus Jack. Mm-hmm. Who is very different than like the original like mankind, mm-hmm. and then you've got like what I like to call like the Mick Foley was like the yeah. comedic everything yeah. after that, mm-hmm. even though he was still mankind. You'd have the commissioner uh, Mick Foley, and then any of his post retirement, which his official in ring retirement would have been Triple um, H, right? Yeah, after Triple H beat him in a cell, everything else was a nostalgia run where I think he was just Mick Foley. But yeah, I mean, you have guys who have had separate gimmicks right like um i guess like scott hall and and kevin nash but they were different brands yeah but and even then like even if you count it those are okay so you have two two good gimmicks. that's because of copyright i'm sure he still would have been diesel on wcw (laughs) yeah i mean yeah at least scott hall came out and still did the the razor ramon voice uh in his first couple pay-per-views and they they got a uh this will be timely. They got a cease and desist from WWF to stop doing the the Razor Ramon like Scarface voice on TV because it 
it made it seem like it was an actual WWF invasion and they had to knock that off. Otherwise WWF was going to sue. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think part of the problem is when you get a character that works, you kind of just run with it and you'll make tweaks like the undertaker or like Chris Jericho have. Um, but as far as like guys who are supposed to be different characters, I don't know. Um, I'm just trying to think of a guy who has had like four different personas, not just successful ones. And maybe a guy like Dolph Ziggler, who was the caddy, he was Spirit Squad guy, and then he was Dolph Ziggler. That's only three, and two of those were horrible. That's why Dolph Ziggler eventually became a He was a the thing. only one to survive the Spirit Squad. Is <laughs> because those other characters were so bad. It's not that they were good. It's that they were so bad, he had to keep changing characters. So, yeah, it's it's Mick Foley and then everybody else as far as being able to develop and get a persona over. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything. I mean, you'd see that sort of thing more with, like, older performers. Like, I guess Austin, um, even though he was... Steve, he was on three different brands. He was Steve though. Austin and on different shows, but there were definite, definite differences between Stunning Superstar and Stone Cold yeah. Steve Austin. But even then, they, they weren't really characters so much as... No, it was just like an extension of himself mm-hmm. in like one direction or the other. Yeah. And again, like you have to rebrand yourself for every show you go on to. Yeah. Um, I guess there's like Cody had two. Yeah. Uh, Dusty or Dustin Rhodes had a couple. Mm-hmm. One which was a complete train wreck. The seven or whatever it was. Yeah, he had a couple. Seven, I don't know if that was ever supposed to be a thing because its only appearance was its last appearance. Yeah, well, it he did, came out so poorly. and did like a shoot, like mid debut promo. That, that, but he definitely had a proper run as Black Rain and TNA that didn't go over very well. But again, um, those are different companies. Too. Yeah, I'm talking about just in WCW. He had Dustin and he had Seven. Um, seven. Yeah. And then he went back to Dustin again. Mm-hmm. I guess he was Dustin and uh, Gold Dust in WWF, yeah. too. He was Dustin and whatever in TNA. He's kind of been Dustin and then, like, I guess that's kind of been his formula is that Dustin Rhodes itself has um, a bit of a name, but I think it had a ceiling because it's no matter what he did as Dustin Rhodes, he was always Dusty's kid. And he was another just amazing guy. Yeah. And that's. And he's still there. Mm-hmm. Still there. As rough of a life as he said. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we can move on from there. Um, did you have any other ones? That yeah, I had a uh, just another along the lines of just good matches that have taken place at Survivor Series that weren't in any way involved in a traditional five-on-five or whatever-on-whatever whatever Survivor Series elimination match. Um, again, another moment featuring Shawn Michaels, which this is his, his nickname is Mr. WrestleMania, but... Upon looking at just, you know, if you're thinking about Survivor Series highlight matches, he's popping up in a lot of these. Um, this was 2007, a WWE Championship match with Randy Orton. And uh, what a lot of people liked about this match is it had the stipulation of the Sweet Chin music was banned. And if he used it, he would be disqualified. So... It, you knew going in that this was going to be a heavy like storyline and psychology match. Um, 
where you had Shawn Michaels desperately trying to find ways to beat Orton. You know, he he broke out the cross face. Uh, he broke out like the figure four. He tried different roll ups. You know, he tried to win with the the flying elbow off the top rope. Um, and at the end of the match, he hesitated uh, in a spot where he would normally hit the sweet chin music and win the match. He hesitated, and in that moment of hesitation, got caught with an RKO and lost the match. And it was just perfect, perfect storytelling. Um, because that was the perfect way to get the match over. It was, um, it was as good of at the time. It was as good of a heel face dynamic as you were going to get. You know, Hort- Orton should absolutely be a heel. Um, and you know, HBK at this point was like, even when he did that pseudo heel turn to wrestle Hogan, you know, HBK is the, um, he's like a a forever face. Um, it'd be really tough to have turned him. Um, but just, yeah, I just, it's just a really good match. Um, I know they kind of tips their hat with the results by not having the sweet chin music. Like there was. There's, it was very unlikely that he was going to win without being able to hit his finish. Um, but, yeah, I just, just really great stuff. Like, textbook HBK. Well, it's interesting to, that they wouldn't let him win with, like, an elbow or something like right. that, though. Because that was kind of, like, I guess that was always his, like, signature. Mm-hmm. Not so much as... I think the, really the only way they could have gone about it is uh, have some, like, roll-up. Or something like that. Uh, I mean, or he beat, like a distracted referee. Yeah, he beat he beat Jericho at Mania 19 with a roll up, but that was more um, feeding into the storyline. The storyline they were going with that match was they're so evenly matched, and um, you know Jericho was such a big Shawn Michaels fan that um, they were evenly matched. Jericho had counters for all of HBK's stuff. That it was just this. Um, he got this like desperation roll up um, because that was the only way he could beat him um, because they countered out of each other's moves and um, they knew each other so well that um, that was the uh, the result of the match was just being caught and kind of this surprise roll up rather than a match a uh, like a move winning so and you know uh, you know that they weren't going to have uh, even. Even though he was a heel, they weren't going to have a top guy like Randy Orton tap out um, just because they don't have guys tap out right. um, these days. So even though they were moves like the crossface and the figure four, um, that were they're, they're moves that have won championships. Um, yeah. They just weren't going to have a have a top guy tap out. You know, it's funny. I'm noticing that like the the equation to a good Survivor Series match is either HBK or Y2J or both of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, those are those are guys that uh, not only are they you know top whatever you want to call it, and they both the guys were on our uh, like top list. Um, but it's it's also with them being at the level that they are, they're they can they're they're kind of at that level of like winning or they're above winning or losing, and that's why. You never saw HBK win another championship after that Elimination Chamber match. So it kind of allowed them to have so much creativity with what they could do with their 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 people because they didn't need to win or lose. So it's really they could just do whatever was best for the match or the storyline at the time. And so you combine that like mind for the business. You know, those are two of the best sellers and like storytellers the business have ever had. Um, 
So well, they have could have thrown Ziggler in there. Somewhere. Right. They have like the brain. Well, I mean, I think before we're said and done, we're going to have a, a pretty good list of uh, Ziggler Survivor Series matches. Um, you know, the, I probably it depends on they're going to do that two out of three falls match at. Uh, did you see that they're they're tweeting? Uh, Ziggler wants a two out of three falls they're, at some point. I thought they did that on Tuesday. Did they do a two out of three? I'm pretty sure. I thought it was just straight up. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember, because I thought it was rumored that uh, one of those two was supposed to be in the... Uh, yeah, in the... I think Root is on the team now. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I, I I could be wrong. I thought it was just a one-on-one that they had. Maybe it was. I could have. Mis- I didn't actually get to see uh, SmackDown this week, so gotcha. I trick-or-treating. I watched it. <laughs> uh, I don't have... Very, movement. very briskly. Yeah. Um, I watched... I fast-forwarded through a lot of it. Um, I thought I got the highlights. Anyway... Back to the past. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Ziggler. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, so we, we can move on to another match, I think, from there. Sure. Just Ziggler would have been fun to have mixed in there uh, as far as, like, sellers mm-hmm. go. Yeah. The sellers, workers. Yeah. Just, yeah, I mean, you have the combination Blonde of... flowing hair. I think that's what I... Yeah. <laughs> There's the storyline. The, yeah, the thread you have between the three of them. They're all great workers. They're all great sellers. They're all great... Uh, storytellers, uh, and then the blonde hair. And you know what's funny is like if given the opportunity, Ziggler probably could have been the best of the three because mm-hmm. he had that like actual like wrestling background. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was kind of like he's kind of like the best parts of like everything because I think he's kind of like a copycat. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know. Maybe at another time, mm-hmm. if he ever went indie, he'd be he'd be in the Bullet Club probably. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he would be, they'd go after him right away. Whatever they because kick he out. can already throw a super kick. So Whatever they kick Omega out, they're going to be bringing in Ziggler. They so. could do. Um, Although I'd like to see Ziggler and Omega too. Yeah. What was the, the <laughs> entity? Oh, that'd be great. The entity <laughs> within the Bullet Club that was Cole and the Bucks. That was, it was some sort of super kick pun. The, I don't know. Whatever it was, it would be. The, I thought Cole was just part of the elite with like everybody else. It was um, the elite was the Bucks and Omega. Um, but and now they just added everybody. Cody. Everybody was just in the Bullet Club. Um, then you had like these subgroups, and when the Bucks would do something with Cole at like ROH or PWG, um, it would. Oh, I remember what it was. It were the, they were the Super Click. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was. yeah, yeah. They yeah. probably got a cease and for that. So, so yeah, they could if Ziggler ever went indie, uh, they could do the Super Click 2.0. Um, well, I mean, they probably couldn't, but <laughs> um, like that's the sort of thing they could tease. Um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, going back to Survivor Series uh, 2000, did do you remember the Angle Undertaker match? I don't. It was one of those goofy. Uh, it had a goofy finish, and that's mm-hmm. probably, like, the part that took away. So this was, like, I don't know if it was the beginning of the American Badass, because mm-hmm. it came out, it wasn't Kid Rock, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't Limp Biscuit. It was just kind of, like, him coming out on a motorcycle. He mm-hmm. still had the long hair. I'd tell you what it might have been. Um, did you watch it on the network? Yeah. I think they had to take out every single... No, because he came in on a different one with uh, Limp Biscuit playing. Oh. Unless it was the Kid Rock one. I know he, he wound up using, I think because the licensing ran out, he wound up using the the Dead Man Walking theme. 
More than that. The, you done it now. Gone and made a big mistake. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay, so anyway. And that's what they wound up. They went back and I guess most times that they did the... They had uh, Roland or American Badass playing. They dubbed it over with that theme. Um, because you see people doing like weird Fred Durst motions in the background. But it's to this like slower song. Um which is one of the unfortunate things is ECW sounds really weird because everything was right. Was yeah, indie. right. Because it was like, it was practically an indie. Um, so Paul Heyman just used like every single. Um, so the sounds it sounds kind of weird. Um, That's the problem then, with like watching bar wrestling now too. Yeah, and then a lot of stuff with WCW because the, uh, the knockoffs. Yeah, um, you know. You had uh, Raven had a Nirvana knockoff. Jericho had a Pearl Jam knockoff. DDP had a Nirvana knockoff. Uh, Eddie Guerrero had a. They still let have left his in. Yeah, he still had the the lowrider low knockoff. That's weird. Um. Hmm. So anyway, yeah, this he came out in like these. It was like leather. I don't know what the material of his pants were, mm-hmm. but like his top was like a leather or like a vinyl or something like mm-hmm. that. But he had like these gold pants on, which I thought was like the Undertaker weird did? for the Undertaker. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could like look up a look up a picture <laughs> of it, but it it was like it was ridiculous. He had wow, like these yeah. gold. I don't remember if it was like cheetah print or something like weird. that. This is like uh, might have stumbled upon a forgotten favorite here because when I think of Angle Undertaker, uh, you know, I think of the No Way Out from like '07. Oh, they were like weird. these gold, like they weren't Zubas, but God, they were terrible. <laughs> what in the world? Okay, oh, yeah, I don't have time to look through Undertaker gifts, but yeah, yeah, they almost look. Like, that looks like maybe snake print. I I don't know what it is, but he came out in like the jacket and a headband. Yeah, it, it looks. I tell you what, it looks like is it looks like the Undertaker, but you know how like in wrestling games you can like swap out colors. Yeah, it looks like they just put in like a cheetah print or like a snakeskin. Well, this was print. the year two thousand, so it would have so, been like, time for that. <laughs> there's because there's nothing off other than just the color. Even the material is like what it would have been. Yeah, but like just like com- somebody color swapped it. This is like. You'd see it in like Mortal Kombat or other fighting games when More player you had two of the same right player. when player one would pick the Undertaker, so then this would be like player two Undertaker with like different colored pants. And uh, <laughs> I, this Undertaker was so cool too because he had like he had kind of like a swagger, mm-hmm. like where he'd like call his moves before he did them. Yeah, like he'd like he'd like wrap his arm, and you knew what he was doing. He'd go old school. Yeah, and he'd like go up, and like the guy still wouldn't kick the rope, mm. but. Uh, it was a good match. Uh, it you should you should go home and like watch yeah. this because I know you have the network. Uh, uh, but yeah, look, it even says alternative looks tights. Yikes. <laughs> this is an example. Um, but it uh, it it ended in just like this really goofy way, and I think it's the only thing that kind of took away from the match. But it was good. Like if you remember going back and watching these without knowing like the the. The background behind the match is kind of hard. And Angle is kind of like this. He came out as like this baby face and everybody hated mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And he had like this, this like personality where he was kind of like a, he was like an Olympic medalist, but he was like a cheater. Yeah. And, uh, the end of this match, uh, un- 
a Kurt Angle runs out of the ring and goes and tries to hide under it, as you can see in this picture mm-hmm. over here with the ugly pants. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Undertaker goes and reaches under and grabs somebody, and he hits him with the the last ride, mm-hmm. pins him clean. The, the referee stops, and you're like, kind of, well, what the heck? And it wasn't Kurt Angle. It was some other guy, and then Kurt Angle sneaks up behind him, rolls him up, and pins him. Oh man! And escapes. So, like, this was actually like a really good match, and it like I guess like knowing like what was going on with Angle at the time, mm-hmm. um, like it, it it stays good, but uh, it, it could have been better. I guess you don't want to like you want to keep both of these guys looking strong with Angle being the heel. It was the obvious way, mm-hmm. but um, it's one worth going back and looking at. Sure. I think it's one that probably gets like forgotten. About. Yeah. Even though, like, I don't know how many times these two interacted, but this was probably like the first time during a pay per view that it happened. Oh yeah, definitely. They wound up. They would have Kurt still had his hair. I wonder where this falls in line. They had this other feud. Um, it was at a fully loaded. There was like a triple main event where it was all established guy versus like younger or like newer guy. So it was like Rock and Benoit. Triple H and Jericho and then Undertaker and Angle and it was all the established guys were supposed to put over not necessarily by like losing to them but to like make them look like they're on their level it was all the established guys getting over the newer guys Um, and it was Angle Undertaker and that was uh, it had like a bunch of that like the like ridiculous Angle stuff like I think the whole the whole feud started over some like misunderstanding. I think it was actually Kurt like knocked over the Undertaker's bike backstage or something like that. Um, so he spent like the next the coming weeks trying to make it up to him. Like he bought him uh, like replacement bike, which wound up being like a Vespa scooter, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, or like he suggested they should be in like a bike gang together. And and either way, it was because. Uh, the reason like Kurt works so well comedically is because he wasn't afraid of looking like a dweeb. Um, but yeah, that was <laughs> that, uh, they, uh, they worked, they worked really well together. And even, uh, later on when they faced each other at that random no way out, um, and they were both like completely serious. Like that was another good match. Uh, these were two guys that they had, they had that chemistry that we, we talked about. And, um, I think Angle's the only guy to get the Undertaker to submit. Might be. I think it's it happened at uh, I don't remember what the pay per view was, but he um, he got him to submit because uh, it was some like fluky thing. It was somebody else had it was like a double submission, and Angle got the win because he put it on first or something like that, or. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, these guys have a, a decorated history. So it's it's kind of surprising to hear about some match that <laughs> you haven't heard of. I hadn't heard of. And this also as awesome as The Undertaker looked. Yeah. And I feel like this he went so off. He so rarely went like off character with his looks. I mean, I think a lot of people remember the like weird phantom mask he wore mm-hmm. um, back in the early 90s. Um but then something like this, which is so, like, jarring to have seen, like, how come nobody's talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I completely, like, I never even knew about this until mm-hmm. 
And, like, in all honesty, I was just, like, looking up, I'm like, okay, what matches do I need to look? And I'm kind of, like, looking yeah. over the cards, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, Undertaker. Undertaker Turn and angle. angle, yeah, that would pop this right off the... This can't be a bad match. Right. Um, so, that that's really, like, the only reason I even saw this. Um, in 2000, I think, was kind of a, a decent year for pay-per-views in general. I think a lot of people consider 2000 <laughs> to be the... Uh, not only the best year of the Attitude Era, both in-ring and with storyline, but just in the company's history, 2000 is kind of held in a, a high regard. You have the, uh, you have the like the Attitude Era feel. You know, you have like star power with all those guys. But then this is when you also started having the WCW guys come over. Yeah. You know, 99 had Jericho and Big Show come over, and 2000 had the Radicals. So you know, all of a sudden your roster. Um, just in the mid card is bolstered with Eddie Guerrero, Chris, Chris Benoit, Benoit, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko. Um, suddenly, you know, I think we re- we recently reviewed WrestleMania 15, which would have just been a year previous to this. That would have been spring of '99, and the mid card had like Billy Gunn and Road Dog, Shamrock, um, Al Snow. You know, guys who like you know they were like fine workers and everything, but like. To be supplanted by, you know, there's, I think, I don't think anybody's arguing that like Jericho, Benoit, and Guerrero are all better um, mid card talents to, you know, to go from that level to those are your mid carders to suddenly these are your mid carders now is just so. Um, yeah, 2000 was, um, if I were to go back and just watch, um, some like old like week to week raws and the pay per views that they led up to it would it'd be from the year two thousand because for um, yeah it was that was a, a time that I was checked out for whatever reason uh, it might have actually had to do with um, McFoley retiring because yeah he was such a big part and then you had McFoley retiring and Austin was out for a lot of the year with his uh, his neck issue. In real life, and then his uh, he had gotten run over at a Survivor Series. Well, that'll cause a neck issue. Yeah, <laughs> was the reason he was off off camera. So, um, yeah, that was a lot of people hold that year in high regard. And seeing that there's just like kind of this throwaway undercard match of Undertaker and Angle at a Survivor Series, I think goes to prove that point of. Um, just how deep the roster was and how how well everything was going at this time. Well, it's 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 funny because I, I I don't know if you can require or you could really call any um, Undertaker or Angle match like a an undercard. Undercard just in the sense that it's not the main event. Yeah, it's the Undertaker. Well, <laughs> this, I guess this was before now, so. Uh, all right. Any other matches that you wanted to go over? No, nah, I mean, I think I, I hit some of my favorites. If I really scoured some of these cards, um, I could probably find some like forgotten favorites. Um, but just kind of recalling what I've seen through like my eyes as a fan, I think I hit on pretty much everything I wanted to. Okay. Um, then next week we're gonna try to go through and come up with a, like a war games, mm-hmm. probably digging deep into the NWA. Yeah. Uh, archives. Um, so that should be a lot of fun. I'll actually have a little more prep time this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I literally watched probably five hours of wrestling, six hours of wrestling. Like all mm-hmm. of my free time outside of like working the kids was watching like old wrestling 
uh, shows. So mm-hmm. <laughs> this time I'm a little less pressed for time, so it might be a little bit better. And hopefully it doesn't go too much longer because we're running at an hour 30 now. Mm-hmm. So um, that's probably going to wrap it unless yeah. you have any closing comments for this week. Nah, I'm, I think we touched upon everything. There were some, some things we talked about that gave us opportunity to talk about uh, – kind of current day affairs but we're still you know we're still a ways out from survivor series so there's not really a ton to cover other than what we've mentioned here in passing all right all right that's going to wrap it up for another episode of matt chat any questions or comments or just looking for back episodes check out my website mattchatweb.wordpress.com as always thanks for listening